Blog Talk Radio. Acceptable 
As a matter of fact, she considers that to be poison, to be half doing and half and doing half, um, and having nothing done, and having nothing under uh, understood, and and this really backstepping, and what that kind of energy, what it does, is it eventually kills the spirit, and if you're not in balance, you will not find peace, purpose, or satisfaction. So one of the points that she makes, and I must acknowledge uh, that I, I give uh, reverence to the Most High and, and to our ancestors um, and to my siblings and to my wife. And, and, and I, I'm just very much aware of the fact that when I say my wife, as a husband, that one has to be very much aware of being in balance, being in balance not just for self but understanding that you have to be in balance for your your spouse because you and she or he have become as one. So if you're not balanced, then indeed the marriage is not balanced. And I just wanted to share that. I can't emphasize that more. Um, I just understand, though, that dealing with the the constructs of our community and our society, that we're led to believe that it's about me as opposed to we. And that's an ongoing challenge. Uh, as a matter of fact, my wife just walked into the studio. I just wanted to say hello and sh- for us to share a greeting. How are you doing? Okay, how are you? I'm great. It's happy to have you with us again in the studio. Well, I'm glad to be here. I, I like this um, book by Melania Bonzon. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's a very profound book, isn't it? Yes. Yes, so uh, I'm looking forward to uh, just, you know, practicing quite a few of the things that she has uh, shared with us within the book and sharing this amongst my um, my uh, my family and friends and associates, those who are receptive. Uh, Ayala goes on to state that we should honor our word by doing what we say we will do, and nothing more quickly undermines and renders the sense of self than not honoring what you say you will do. And it's basically, it's, it's a vicious cycle. You say you're going to do something and you do not do it because you feel uh, bad about not doing it. You lie about why you did not do it. And then you feel bad about lying. So wherever you see the person that you're disappointed with and, and had been lied to, you embellish the story going deeper into the explanation of why you did not do it in the first place. And then you feel bad about lying again. So, indeed, there is this, in the Western culture, it's accepted, there's this, even this expression, telling a little white lie, you know, which is supposed to make it acceptable, especially if you're doing it within the sports arena, uh, even within business, that uh, the end result is, is what matters by any means necessary, even if you have to lie to do it. And um, we give a a double message to our children when they see us lying, bending the truth, telling a so-called white lie, and then they say, oh, this is accepted. And then they do the same thing. And then, again, as she alludes to, there's this vicious cycle of trying to determine what is acceptable, what type of lie, what level. So we need to get to the point that within our community we understand. And I think, number one, 
is that one ceases to tell yourself a lie. That you're truthful with yourself. If you say that you're going to establish a certain habit, such as exercise, such as eating the right food, such as um, committing yourself with your Most High, with, with, the, with, the, with the Lord, in terms of prayer and ritual, committing yourself to your spouse, to your children, to your loved ones, to your friends, that one follows through with the agreement. So uh, that leads me to think about the book, The Four Agreements, by Don Miguel Uriz. And I've covered that. If those of you would like to go into the archives, you can review shows that I've done in about a year, 12 months ago, regarding the book titled The Four Agreements. And what The Four Agreements are basically is about having impeccable speech, number one, two, not taking anything personal, three, not making assumptions, and fourth, doing your best. But the first one, impeccable speech, is applicable to what I'm talking about this evening, and that is honoring your word by doing what you say you will do. So there's, there's a lot to be said about that. She goes on to state and share with us that the conduct, conduct is your own independent investigation of truth. God will meet you wherever you are. No one can tell you what is true, good, or right for you. Since we all have our own lessons to learn, we all grow in different rates and achieve different levels of understanding at various times. She goes on to state that things that did not make sense to you five years ago may be perfectly clear today, and things that make no sense today will become clear with the passage of time. So we must learn to examine everything, learn to read the symbolic messages of life and nature, investigate the events in your life by first turning within and then examining the, the external world, and then spring uh, I'm sorry, spirit will bring you to as much clarity and understanding as you can handle right where you are. And there's one thing that you may want to keep in mind is that the truth is consistent. It will not change with the passage of time. So one must investigate what your heart and, and what you want to know in identifying the consequences, or if not the consistencies. And with the advent of, of the um, social network, we're more so than ever before um, impacted by perceptions of truth, perceptions of reality. And I know that those of us, you know, from different ethnicities, myself being a man of African descent, you know, I'm an African, and I try my best to embrace the modalities coming from my particular heritage. And, and there are things within the community which are reality which doesn't necessarily have to be about tangible things that you can see and touch. You know, there's uh, a, 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 actually a school of thought, a train of thought, that states that the unseen world is more real than the seen. That spirit is real. And a lot of us are led to believe that you know, we're living a life uh, as human beings who, on occasion, <laughs> uh, we may have a spiritual experience. 
which really the contrary is true in my book, no pun intended, in that we are spiritual beings who are having a human experience. But once you uh, deal with that paradigm and train of thought in terms of recognizing that the spiritual world, the spiritual reality is more profound, and that's what creates what we are accustomed to labeling as reality, what's real, keeping it real, as the saying goes, uh, the colloquial expression. And uh, little do we know, I mean, not until we contemplate how I'm even speaking with you this evening. I'm using a cordless phone, uh, looking through a monitor connected to a computer, and uh, using software, uh, in this case called Blog Talk Radio, which is allowing me to convey a message to you. And, of course, it's very profound because of the fact that the word that we're contemplating at this point is the word truth, being real, being truthful. And uh, there are certain things within the uh, world of physics and the world of metaphysics which regardless of what language you speak and what perceptions you may have in terms of uh, mathematics and science, that there are certain aspects of, of, of this which are just absolute and universal. And, of course, uh, we're still dealing with the infancy of this reality as we deal with the sciences and the, and the various uh, higher levels of, uh, of understanding and awareness. Math is something that is constantly evolving in terms of our understanding, as well as medicine, as well as astrology, um, physics. We're dealing with uh, the understanding that there now is a, uh, an area of, of physics in terms of uh, subatomic energy, uh, quantum physics, quarks, the string theory. All of these things allude to the fact that what was thought to be uh, hearsay and impossible impossibilities are now reality, you know, through the understanding and the evolving of, of certain ancient teachings, as it were, whether it be from the Bhagavad Gita, whether it be from various other books that go back into the times of antiquity. And, of course, we have the spoken word where knowledge was just passed by word of mouth. And, of course, you know, we have the telepathic communication. So all these things are areas in which, as an average day course of events in terms of conversation, one does not delve within these areas of, of awareness. But that doesn't make it less truthful and less more real. So, indeed, uh, I, I won't go over it all this evening. I will continue next week. But there are certain things that uh, uh, Sister Ayanla uh, shares in terms of dealing with uh, daily spiritual uh, endeavors. And she talks about how if you're following the daily minimum requirements that you are now ready to begin a regular spiritual life regime by incorporating into your life all the principles and practices explored that you have ingredients for a well-balanced spiritual diet. And offered here are two daily uh, schedules that I will go over briefly this evening and in more in depth next week. And she's dealing with uh, how to deal with immediately upon waking to 
walking to the nearest window and open it as wide as possible. During the cold season, you can uh, wear a robe if not a sweatshirt. And nothing before, standing before the window takes seven to ten deep breaths as described earlier in our book. And then you stand silently and allow your breath to return at, normal, at a normal rate. And then step two, and see, it, it recommends that you wake up um, at 5.30 in the morning. There are some schools of thought that state that at that hour, at the beginning of daybreak, that all the birds and all the animals, they wake up, and we should be in a line and in tune with all of nature in terms of uh, especially other uh, so-called primates. If they wake, we should be awake. And then, of course, these hours are stated in certain schools of thought, spiritual schools of thought in terms of prayer um, and, and making uh, a commitment to uh, praise the, the one most high whether it be through, uh, uh, through Islam, through Christianity, through Santeria, to Ifa, to whatever religion that you embrace, that these are certain rules that are in place, uh, not whimsically decided upon, but through deep research by ascended masters, by prophets, by seers, by guru. So she goes on to step two, which is at five. 35, five minutes later, standing before the ancestral altar and reciting the ancestral prayer, whatever prayer that you know of and what you can create, and those that have also been established. And you do this to invoke the ancestors on your list by making a list, and you have chosen not to create an ancestral altar, you move on to the next step, and that is to recite the affirmation of empowerment and then... Uh, sitting in a comfortable uh, but straightforward chair, uh, sitting cross-legged in a lowest position to do the balancing breathing exercise, which we will go over next week. So, indeed, there is a whole process from a moment of waking to 5.35, 5.45, 5.50, o'clock, 6.15, and up to 6.30, where you begin your day in the state of reverence. And then, of course, there's an evening schedule. And these are things that one has to incorporate into one's life in order for one to really uh, rise above the mundane existence and, as a man and to become a man of spirit. So this also assists you in, in, in dealing with transformation and for our men and women in our community so that we can be more facilitated to teach our children, you know, the following generation of how to become reverent so that indeed all the nonsense that's within our community that's being practiced can be uh, rectified and will not continue. So we have about uh, nine minutes remaining. I'm going to take a short break, and I'll be right with you before we close the show. Thank you.
Okay. This is very interesting what uh, Sister Ayanla shares with us in terms of building blocks. Uh, she states that there is nothing new under the sun. Everything that has been done has been done. Your experiences are not new in the universe. They are not new to you. You must trust in the fact that there is an answer for the experience that you face. Hundreds of thousands of ancestors have walked these same roads in another time and place. The insight those ancestors have is available. You can tap into the power of these beings with communal ancestral worship. You can draw upon the power and wisdom of those who have walked the path before you by establishing a board of life directors. She goes on to state that a board of life directors is an altar, shrine, corner of the living room, with pictures and artifacts of the powerful black men and women who have lived before you and paved the way for you. Nat Turner, the courageous soldier, Frederick Douglass, the powerful orator, Marcus Uzziah Garvey, the statesman and organizer, Saka Zulu, the battle strategist, Brother Malcolm X, El-Hajj Malik Shabazz, the disciplined and astute leader and teacher, Dr. Martin Luther King, the peacemaker, as well as your great uncle Amos and others. There can be these can be all influential energies, ready to, and available to guide and assist you. And if you should decide to establish a board, don't forget to include women, those queens, mothers, sisters, and friends bring forth a powerful healing energy. Queen Zinga, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Madam C. Walker. Ada B. Wells, examples of powerful women who made mighty contributions to the lives of all people. And each of these women lived in a specific set of principles, or lived by a specific set of principles in pursuit of her life's mission. The spiritual energy these women offer is sure to be a welcome addition to your unfolding consciousness. So when you are faced with a challenge, Sit before the board and ask yourself, what would Marcus Garvey do if he was confronted with this situation? What did Frederick Douglass say about this or a similar situation he faced? How did Harriet Tubman conduct herself when faced with the challenge? How did the Honorable Elijah Muhammad say one should behave when confronted by a situation like this? What battle strategy would Shaka Zulu used to confront this situation. Principles do not change. The matter in which the principles play out and are employed merely appears to be different. These people, whether they are your family or your communal ancestors, lived by principles and philosophies that have been tried and tested. That information is available to you because we are all a part of one spiritual divine mind. There is no reason to reinvent the will. If the will exists, the principles for its development exist. They exist in spirit. Rather than running around or running away from difficulties, you can direct the events in your lives by learning from and receiving guidance from the masters. Those who 
have already lived and learned. A board of directors need not be elaborate. It can be pictures on the poster board. You can meditate with the photographs and tap into the energies. It can be quotes written on the index cards. These are power and wisdom in the written and spoken word. It can be an entire room filled with pictures, quotes, books, and other things you have gathered to remind you that somebody has been confronted with this situation before. And if they knew what to do, you will know what to do. In honoring communal ancestors by incorporating in your life the principles they use to move through life, you can develop the greatest survival tool available to any living being, the value and insights of wisdom. And with the wisdom of those who paved the way guiding you, you cannot fail. So that's something that's extremely profound. I know that I can find in, 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 in my ancestors, we have a, a, an altar, a family altar, and then I have an individual altar, my wife as well. And most of all, as I was mentioning to my wife, I think it was yesterday, that I, we tried, maybe today, that we try to stay all during the day in a state of reverence, thinking about the Most High, thinking about our ancestors, and giving thanks, being in a state of gratitude. And if you do that, then these so-called hunches, these uh, intuitive uh, feelings that you get that come through your mind, uh, Yes, some of them are from ourselves individually, but 90 seconds. they're inspired by the Most High, by our ancestors, by those uh, guides and, and, and masters who live in the unseen world, who communicate through us, through spirit. So we have to acknowledge that. And the more we do, the more we will have the facilities to do with any challenge or any problem that comes into our life. 60 seconds. So I hope that uh, this evening I was able to share with those of you listening in the chat room, uh, those of you who are listening via phone, and, of course, those of you who uh, access the archives, that what we shared with you this evening has struck a nerve, uh, a good nerve, as it were, and that it has assisted you in, in providing clarity in terms of your journey and how to deal with any problems that may come into your path. So at this point, I bid thee farewell. I thank you again for listening this evening. I give praise to the Most High. I give praise to our ancestors, to our guardians, to our angels, to my mother-in-law, my siblings, to my wife. Ten seconds. And I thank you so much for sharing your evening with us this Sunday evening. So tune in again next week, and we will continue from where we left off. All praises to you. Shalom, assalamu alaikum, namaste, all my relations, peace, love, and abundant blessings.